coming at you live from the resistor lab out here got a bunch of electronics sitting around some stuff that i'm messing around with doing a little bit of radio work with some of that uh that operation winter heat contest that's going on with uh vhf and uhf over fm and really just enjoying the day out here got uh it's pretty cold Get a little ice storm, a little snow that's moved through, and we're kind of slogging it out from that. But I'm joined today by my very good friend, training buddy, uh, dude that runs his own company out in Montana, just Badlands Fieldcraft. What's up, brother? Not much. How are you doing? Good, man. Yep. Just uh, out here enjoying the winter. Just got yeah. done with a bunch of sub-zero weather, so... Yeah, you, now, uh, you got a little bit more winter out there than we got here. It's a little, little stronger yeah. flavor of winter. It's Yeah, you know, every place kind of has its challenges, and this one, the Sub-Zero, can get you after a while. But we're, we're up in the teens today, so it's feeling pretty good. Sun's shining. It's balmy. It's in the, it's in the <laughs> teens. It's, it's like the T-shirt teens. weather. Pretty, yeah, you know, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> Although the older Montana, I get, man. the less I do that, so... Yeah, t-shirt weather, dude. So, you know, coming on today, you've put together. Uh, you're well, first man. I just say you're a man of of many many talents. You've put together yet another class on top of your fieldcraft class, which I think is just genius. And you're also producing knives. And, you know, I got to see some of the the early photos of, of your prototype Fieldcraft knife, dude. I'm excited. I'm real, real excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks. It's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, that's kind of I've been into sharp pointy things for a long time. And <clears throat> so I thought, why not give that a shot? You know, it's it's not necessarily easy, but it's not rocket science either. You know, people have been making metal tools for a very long time and. So that well maybe something that's something I'd like to get into. So yeah, it's it's going pretty good. I just got my first batch back from the heat treat the other day and been <clears throat> getting those getting edges put on those and I like I think I got that figured out. I got them suckers so sharp. Like I'm almost scared to send them out. Like they are <laughs> sharp. Like put a warning label on it. Uh yeah. I've you never had a knife that sharp. <laughs> you might cut your arm off. <laughs> might cut yourself right so man these these knives though i love the design i love everything that you you put into it kind of that that spear point to it full flat grind you you know you've taken a whole bunch of bushcrafting classes out there with some of the biggest names in the industry you've put together your own class um that that i think is just knocking it out of the park mm-hmm. and, and you're getting a pretty big following doing all that too and as a uh, as a marine corps infantryman combat experience uh overseas man what was your your primary needs in this knife when you designed it what was your goal when you sat down and you said all right i want this knife to do this 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 and this um, you know, honestly, you know, I needed to be durable for one, because to me, you know, I, I kind of have this idea of the belt knife, right? It's it's a knife that's on your side all the time. You fall off a cliff and lose your pack, you still got your knife, hopefully. You know, it's on your belt, your pants belt, or <clears throat> you know, somewhere on your gear. It's part of your line one gear, right? And so I wanted to be, you know, with me all the time. I wanted it to be reliable. And so it had to be very durable. 
And so it had to be durable, full tang, made a good steel, and mainly, you know, just providing for those survival type needs, uh, processing game, making fires in different ways, and busting up uh, material to make shelters or other tools that you may need if you're out in the bush. And I mean, you know, everybody thinks of bushcraft as like this YouTube hobby where, you know, guys in the city drive out to a state park and make feather sticks. It's really not. You know, it's it's the skills of living out in the bush, and it's that term's borrowed from the Brits because they taught their guys, like the SAS and everybody, how to live out in the bush because they knew damn well we're not going to be able to help you. Yep. You know, you're out in the jungle or, or <clears throat> the desert or wherever, you're on your own. And that's why I've kind of looked at that and looked at um, kind of the – the civilian context and gone, that's pretty similar. I don't have a supply chain that's bringing me anything. So I better know how to do it myself. So I wanted a knife with me that, that could do those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you mentioned the British SAS and, and lofty Wiseman, uh, mm-hmm. who, who passed away, uh, either last year or the year before. I know it, it hasn't been that long, uh, since he passed away, but he was one of the the real instrumental guys in popularizing bushcraft and, uh, you know, lofty Wiseman, long time career SAS man and uh, survival instructor in his own right. Uh, pretty amazing guy. And then, you know, uh, uh, Ray Mears, of course, uh, over in Britain doing mm-hmm. really, really good stuff. And, uh, you know, the hobby's really taken off here in the States too. And it's funny you mentioned YouTube, because that's kind of where I think a lot of people get their start yep. and and they're kind of alienated from the land. They're alienated from the outdoors, but they have that need. They have that desire right. to get back and make that reconnection, you know? Right. Yep. Yep. I totally see it. And I, you know, I don't mean to pick on them. It's just, that's how, like you said, how people come across it. And then they develop this idea that that's all it is. Right. It's like, no, that's, that's not really all it is. That's just a way to, to make it accessible for, like you said, people who don't normally have that access, but it was a practical yeah. skill set <clears throat> prior to that. Right. I mean, simple things like choosing a knife design for a purpose, you mm-hmm. know, and, and blade sharpening. Sharpening yep. is, is one of those skills that it's amazing to me how many people don't know how to properly set an edge on a knife. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, I think that's why so many people are so concerned with how sharp a knife comes when they buy it, because they know most likely they're never going to get it back, you know, and so they want it to be just razor sharp right out of the box. And so, yeah, you need to know how to sharpen your tools. I mean, you slip and hit a rock on it or with it, yeah. <clears throat> you know, now you're, <laughs> now you are resetting your edge for sure. So it takes time. I don't expect I would never expect anybody to understand all this right out of the gate. That's why no, I man, it's, it's, it's any skill. You, you, it takes repetition to master it. Now, mm-hmm. getting back to your blade, what materials are, are you using that, that are going into it? What blades still are you using? Cause I know that the thing is absolutely gorgeous. The pictures of it, it's oh, absolutely beautiful. So, um, I'm using a five thirty seconds inch thick, a one tool steel right now and choice yeah it's it's just a good and good good steel it really is a good steel and i've actually got my own heat treat oven and when i get this first batch shipped out and have a little more time i'm going to play around with heat treating so that that steel may change in the future depending on what i you know what i end up with through all my testing there but right now it's a one tool steel it's full tang um, I do a two-thirds height saber grind versus like a Scandi or a full grind because saber kind of gives you a good <clears throat> in between the two. You know, typically a Scandi with that broader edge is going to be a little bit, you know, there's more steel there, so it's going to be a little tougher. Uh, a flat grind, of course, will be a better slicer. So I was trying to balance the two. So I've had both and, I, and I've liked them both for different things. And so I was trying to balance the two, and that's why I went with the saber grind. I felt like it was a good, uh, good in between. And then um, <clears throat> I use uh, G10, Micarta, or Dymalux, which is like a wood laminate, kind of similar to Micarta, but they use layers of birch. And so those are the three materials I've been using on the handles, and they're good. 
they're good solid heavy duty handle materials <clears throat> yeah man it's it i mean every every aspect of this knife that you've put together it it just really looks like you you've you, you, it's well thought out and i think that that a lot of people are going to find a lot of use for it man um you know and uh but you know to to another point that you had made and something we were talking about uh just before we we went on the air was you know bushcrafting skills are really part of a a larger kind of concept of of the whole man you know right the the self-reliant man so you know you and i both coming up, you know, combat vets, army uh, on my side, Marine Corps on yours. And, but, but really, you know, leaving the infantry and leaving that world and, and getting out, you know, we kind of, we, we both have this core concept of, you know, what it means to be a man, what it means to be self-reliant, what it means to have those core skills you know, because that, that's something that a lot of uh, a lot of us have written about over the years. A lot of the, the the whole survivalist movement, the prepping movement, that's really what they're trying to get towards. You know, and uh, we were talking about something that, that you ran into this week dealing with the fact that, you know, living out west, you don't necessarily have a plumber or an electrician or, you know, uh, heating and air guys that can just come whenever right you gotta you gotta be able to do a lot of stuff on your own man so what skill sets have you developed to be more self-reliant oh man well i mean you know i ran into a situation just uh over the christmas holiday where my sewer line was backing up into my house and you know i've dabbled in some plumbing but you know when your sewer line's backed up and your family can't you know, your house ain't functioning anymore because you cannot get rid of the dirty water. You, you kind of go into self-reliance mode. I mean, it's not the big apocalyptic situation, but all of a sudden you need to start improvising. You know, you need to start adapting quickly. And so, you know, a lot of it, in a way, what's helped me out is networking, actually. You know, it's not a hard skill set. It's, it's people skills, you know, and I was able to get a hold of people that I knew that knew other people who could come help me because all the plumbers that are in the region are either on vacation or don't do service calls because they don't want to mess with dirty, nasty stuff. They want to build new houses and run new pipe. And so getting a hold of the people that have the tools and getting a hold of the people that can come help. I mean, the guy that came and helped me, I know of him and he probably knows of me, but if we've ever spoken two words to each other, you know, we just don't run in the same circles. And, but by us knowing people uh, mutually, he's like, yeah, I'll come help you. You know, and he only wanted 50 bucks at the end of it. And I'm like, no way, dude, I'm not paying you 50 bucks for all this work. Like this was hard labor hauling that stuff in and out of the basement. So, you know, networking, um, you know, the, the good common construction skills, you know, some framing knowledge, some basic electrical knowledge and plumbing knowledge, all those, you know, honestly should be part of everybody's toolbox. There's no reason why I'm not saying you need to run out and wire your whole house, but you should be able to change out an outlet or a switch or a light fixture. Right. I mean, so I think those are good, uh, good trade skills, you know, and like you were saying how to sharpen a tool. There's another one, you know, how to use your tools. There's another one. So, I mean, it's not always like, Hey, I'm going to go figure out how to make a bow drill fire in my bushcraft shelter. It's common stuff too. You got to be able to keep your house running. Got to fix your furnace if you need to, when it's zero degrees out, relight your water heater, change out a water heater. I mean, these are all things that, you know, come up in home ownership and in life, you know, or be able to help other people do theirs, you know, and be willing to do that. Yeah. You know, you, you have to also take into account too, that you don't want to be learning that at the worst possible time. Right. And and typically that is when you're going to learn it, when it is (laughs) suboptimal, you know, like, Oh crap. 
No. Well, and I think that's where the net, you know, obviously I'm not going to learn how to, I'm not just going to go out and learn to be a plumber in case I have to fix something, but understanding how those systems work and maybe knowing some people that I can rely on should I run into problems is a big, big thing. Saved my butt. That's for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> for sure, man. You know, it, and people, people envision like, you know, you're out in Montana and people envision, you know, living out in the readout region and, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be this isolationist. And, and that's how I'm going to kind of ride out the storm that, that is the the wild times that we see right now, but it comes with its challenges, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, for like, sure. There's a it, 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 once I got out there and experienced that lifestyle, um, dude. It, I mean, it's a whole different mindset, man, and it, it's it's one that's definitely not for everybody. No, it's it could be. Um... You know, like a lot of the people I went to high school with and stuff don't live here. And, you know, it's like you said, it's not for everybody, even people that are born and raised here. They look at and go to hell with this. But, you know, I found myself here and it's what you make of it. You know, you might get dirty doing your own sewer work one day, but then again, I like living here. So <laughs> it's just the trade off. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's definitely a fact. So. You know, you, you've got your classes that you offer. So the field craft course, and then you've got a new class that you've just put up on the calendar too. Yeah, this is one that I've been, I was probably working on this class, honestly, before I was working on the field craft class. And I sat back and I looked at it and I said, you know what? We can't even go to this level without some other knowledge to build on first. And so it is the new class, but it actually, like I said, I've been working on it for a long time. And um, it is designed to pick up kind of where my field craft course picks up or leaves off, you know. And this is more of a tactics course, you know. But it's not just practicing small unit tactics. It's also planning. It's leadership. It's tying in a lot of the skills that we learned in the first course and building on those further. So I'm pretty excited for it. You know, it's... um, and and like you and I have talked about the need for guys, especially former military guys, to get out of the doctrinal mindset of like, well, yeah. this is how you do it. And this is what you do. And so it's been kind of my study in, OK, well, if I can't do that, what can I do? You know, I got a town full of ranchers, farmers, oil field workers and deer hunters. What could I do with with these types of guys? You know, right. And. And so that's kind of where this class came from. It's not trying to make people into SEAL Team 6 and give them some weird skills they probably will never use. It's trying to take things that are practical and and taking them from different places. You know, it's when you start studying uh, the tactics of our former enemies in previous conflicts, that's a weird, you know, like, uh, do I really yeah. want to read about the Viet Cong? You know, like... Well, you know, you got to study what worked for them if you want to. Yeah. Because um, honestly, you got the way I kind of started breaking it down was I started looking at a lot of conflicts and going, OK, who was the essentially the invader or the aggressor and who were fighting on their home turf? You know, right. And it's those guys on their home turf that you want to pay particular attention to, I think, because they have a lot of similarities with regular people today. Yeah, oh, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, you, when you break it down, you know, I, I can speak from direct experience, as can you, when, can, when it, it, you you know, concerning Iraq, concerning Afghanistan, these, these are guys who live there. They're from mm-hmm. there in most cases. Now, not in yep. every case. They, they had cadre that came in from the outside. They were training them to do different stuff. But a lot of the, you know, as, as we were talking about, um, you know, not that long ago, all the, all the dumb ones are dead. All the guys who are running around looking tactical and everything, those guys died pretty quickly. 
Now, there were some pretty slick dudes that stuck around, and they were very, very dangerous because they were smart. It was the same way in Afghanistan as it was in Iraq. That that was where your real threat came from. And these guys were a lot of times pretty hard to pin down because they blended in with the local populace. And unless you were unless you really knew your stuff inside and out, you know, and, and knew the local people, knew the local slang, knew all the, the local stuff, you weren't going to make a whole lot of headway, not without mm-hmm. a mountain of work and a whole bunch of enablers. And so kind of thinking about, you know, as things go sideways in the United States and that potential for foreign occupation, whether it's uh, peacekeepers coming in, which is the scenario I think is is most likely, or some sort of foreign invasion, which, you know, an occupation by outside peacekeepers in, in a time of duress might be the same. We're now those people. We're now those guys who are fighting on their home turf, and, and it spins everything on its head. So a lot of these guys that have been kind of coming from this conventional mindset, you know, even, even in the, the cool guy elite units, you know, they, they still have this conventional force mindset behind them of everything they're using, like like unconventional warfare. The fomentation of resistance has kind of went by the wayside or at least we're having to, to start to dust off those lessons once more, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, for sure. <clears throat> yep. So talk me through your field craft class. So when students okay. come out there, what can they expect and what can they expect to learn? So at the field craft course, um, that is, you know, a lot of, honestly, the question I was trying to answer when I was doing that class was, you know, I could teach someone how to do a raid or, uh, how to go and maybe, uh, reconnoiter an area, but, how do I teach them even to get there? And how do I teach them how to live while they're out there doing that? You know, what do you do? What not to do? How do you blend in? You know, and so that's what the field craft course is really about. It's not necessarily a survival course. It's not a hiking course. It's, you know, sometimes guys email me with questions because I think they get the impression that it's like a hiking course or something. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm preparing you to go into a tactical environment. That's why I have certain things on the gear list or whatever. And so it's preparing you for that. And then once you can actually do that, that's when you can start applying the actual, uh, start accomplishing tactical objectives, if you will, or whatever you want to say. Um, so they can expect to learn how to live in that environment in a low profile manner. And I think that applies to a lot of different contexts, to be honest. You know, if you're hunting, you certainly can use a lot of those skills. If you are doing the proverbial bug out or whatever you want to say, you're going to use a lot of the same skills. And, you know, honestly, land nav is a huge portion of that class because, frankly, it, it doesn't really matter if you can't get to where you need to go. You know, you can do all the other things great, but if you're wandering around lost, what's the point? And so right. land nav with just map and compass and protractor, no GPS, none of that crap. Good old school land nav to a 10 digit uh, grid square <clears throat> accuracy yeah. at night is right. what guys are coming out of that class doing. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the land nav portion. It, I built the land nav course that I wanted to do. And so I'm pretty happy with that. You know, and so that that those are all the skills to build you up to get ready for the bush tactics class, because you're going to be expected to land nav. You're going to be expected to be able to read a map. You're going to be expected to, you know, in the field craft class, we kind of and I use the word class and course interchangeably. But, uh, you know, we learn how to build shelters in the bush tactics class. We're going to be building hides, but we're going to be using a lot of the same skills that we learned making right. shelters to build our hides. Yep. And so <clears throat> things like that, um, you know, obviously, like I said, the land nav, the camouflage, you know, we do a really fun camouflage exercise in the field craft course where we basically do just hide and seek. You know, it takes a half, about half the guys or so take them out kind of, and we kind of start introducing some tactics while we're doing this, thinking about like, okay, 
what are we looking for in an ambush? Where would we set up an ambush? You know, and then I have the other guys just walk out and see if they can detect them. And uh, it's, it's a really fun exercise. And I think guys learn a lot doing it because they have to, I only give them about 20 minutes to camouflage themselves and their equipment before going out there. So it's not like we spend all day building a ghillie suit. It's low down yeah. and dirty, you know, with whatever you brought, your sniper veil, your jute twine and your local foliage and you're adding it to your gear and, and blending I mean, in. That's so. realistic too. You know, you've heard me say this and, you know, we, we've had that conversation in the past and I, I tell everybody in the scout course, you know, the schoolhouse ghillie suit, the, you know, what, what everybody thinks of is like the traditional sniper walking like a, a Yeti in the woods. That's not real. Like that, that's, that's what we call a schoolhouse ghillies because that's really the only time you're ever, you're ever going to wear <laughs> all of that stuff. Because you yep. can't you can't move effectively in the woods with it. You know, where you are, you could probably get away with that for, you know, at least two seasons. But in the summer, man, dude, oh, dudes yeah. are going to be heat stroking out. You, you can't do that in the southeast. It's just no. not possible. So knowing no. how to field expediently camouflage your stuff and keep it as light as possible keeping your gear as light as possible because you know i am not a 22 year old stud mm. trigger puller anymore you know like right we, you know i'm i'm not an old man but we're you know we're, i i am also i readily recognize with the number of injuries that's going on there's certain things you're not going to be able to do as well as you used to and and as we get older, it's going to get even worse and it gets harder. So some of these guys I see that, that, you know, they have these unrealistic expectations concerning like, this is the stuff I'm going to carry on a patrol and my rifle weighs 15 pounds. And you, right. just, you just look at it like, man, what are you doing? Well, and the, and the great thing is, so I think a lot of it comes from, you know, everybody just takes the, the easy way and it's human nature, right? Path of least resistance. Oh, that's what snipers use is ghillie suits. So I need a ghillie suit. Boom. Done. Right. I answered my question. Didn't even have to sweat about it. But the cool thing is, is that's like to, to refer back to doctrine on it. Everything is taking the easy way out. And if you can develop a, a, a better solution, why not do that? It's just easier on you. I mean, uh, an appropriately colored sniper veil and some local vegetation is just as good as a ghillie suit. Easily. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. it weighs a tenth or, or probably even less, you know, and it's multifunctional, too. I mean, it's just uh, one of the gentlemen that wants to come to a class. He was he's a smart guy and he's been emailing, emailing me a lot of questions. We've been discussing things and uh, that, that I think he comes from more of a hiking background. And that was kind of his thing was like, well, why? Why a sniper veil? Why not just a schma? And so I was like, well, a sniper veil kind of does everything a schma does for you. It's really good at hiding you, too. You know, so yep. you get that added benefit. A schmock can, depending on the of course, the coloring and all that. But I prefer the sniper veil, so that's why I don't have a schmock on my gear list. Well, but, yeah, and and you can see through the sniper veil too, right? Because it's, right. it's it, you know, it, when you're talking about setting up like possibly an urban hide site, or you've created a hide but you don't want the the opening of the hide necessarily because that's one way that it'll give it away you know that veil comes in handy as a multi-purpose item mm -hmm. other than yep. you know something that you just wear on your head you can create baffles it's it's what we call a baffle or a sniper baffle you know and and um so it, i mean it, it's a multi-purpose piece of gear now yep you took a course with On Point Tactical not that long ago, and you had a, a really cool write-up because uh, you know you, you gave a shout out to to Cody Jenks and uh, you know the, the hippies <laughs> and the cowboys. Oh yeah, um, which is an awesome song. But you had some really cool takeaways from that course too that I thought was absolutely spot on, man. And and one of them was was talking about the difference between, you know, your your kind of hippie naturalist hiking bushcraft types that you know are are you know they're coming from a very different like Matt Graham style 
mm-hmm. Matt Graham and Cody London style uh, uh, mindset of being real minimalist and, and how well they did in the stalking lanes and ambush lanes compared to guys with the tactical mindset, but, ha- but why you had to have them both. So if you can, man, just elaborate a little bit more on that, like your experience from it and, and your takeaways. Well, I mean, th- that class was excellent. I love that class. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody that's been to your, your scout courses and RTO courses for sure, uh, you know, if they're in the western half of the United States, they should definitely uh, get in on those too, because it'll it dovetails perfectly with what you're doing too. And it's taught yeah, by, um, excuse me, it's taught by a, a former uh, force reconnaissance marine, and yep. so it's James. It's, yeah, yep, Mr. James, and he is an awesome instructor, very down to earth, really fun to hang out with, and um, you know, so. The whole bush hippie tactical cowboy thing came to me when I was driving home through the middle of Wyoming listening to that song, and it really <laughs> dawned on me. I'm like, yeah, because you had this – at the class, you had this combination of guys who had tactical training or military experience, and then you also had this other half of guys because um, the classes, by the way, were called the uh, Recon Scout and Jaeger Scout classes, and that's two separate classes. And they're actually, the, I believe, the third and fourth classes in a whole progression of scout classes that they do. And the first two scout classes, as far as I understand and from what I gathered from the other students who had already gone through those, are are developing that bush hippie sort of, uh, um, what am I trying to say, connection with nature. And, And you're not out there hugging trees, but you're learning to track and you're using to use you know, other senses that you probably don't normally use in the modern world because being out in the woods or out in the bush, whatever, it, it kind of after about 24 or 36 hours, you're going to start picking up on things that you weren't even noticing the first day you were out there. Yep. And so it's really developing that. I mean, those guys were slick. I'm not kidding. There were guys that, you know, they would uh, start to glaze over when James would hit uh, some of the military style acronyms. But they were no joke when it came to picking out the smallest details on a hide site. We did an exercise kind of similar to like what I was just talking about with our camouflage at the field craft course, but we do it with hide sites. And we go out in pairs and build hide sites and then try to find each other's hide sites. And they're only a couple hundred yards away. And um, me and my partner, we did a pretty damn good job. And the dude that first spotted it, he spotted it because we had taken – branches from other areas and i knew enough to pull it from from areas behind our hide site and then but he saw the cut ends of these little like half inch and quarter inch diameter branches and he saw that and he picked it up from like 50 yards away he's like oh those branches have been cut and i'm like what there were no tracks i mean we tried our hardest to keep from spoiling the area and he picked it up like that and you know those guys have a sixth sense when they well we all do really and yeah. uh, they they develop it really good out there, and I was super impressed by all the guys out there at that class. Yeah, I mean, man, it you know it uh, it's it's an interesting dichotomy of students that they get because I mm-hmm. mean I, I talk to James um, not as often as I would like to, but he he came out to the scout course in uh, Wyoming, and we've kept in contact since then, uh, but. Both James and Kevin were, well, Kevin worked under Tom Brown mm-hmm. and, you know, so you, you've got that whole, you know, the, the larger tracker community, what Tom Brown Jr. has done over in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, Kevin split off and, and uh, formed his own school with On Point and James is working out there with him. And, and so it's really cool that you get kind of both sides of, of the equation. You get, you know, the, the guys who are really in tune, they've had that, that huge amount of dirt time. And so their, their awareness of, of the woods and what looks natural and what doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all about training the brain and it, it goes back to getting those reps and really seeing things. Right. Yep. Yep. And that's, I mean, I learned that just, and those, they, they were so, the students and the instructors were so welcoming because I hadn't been to those first two classes, but they didn't make me feel like I was 
even though I was trying to play catch up with them, they didn't, you know, point it out or nothing. And, uh, you know, they, they helped out a lot, helping me develop those same senses. You know, the, the shit set up a bunch of damn trip wires all around the camp prior to the start of the first class. So there's all these little trip wires. So you go to take a pee and you're setting off a damn trip wire, you know, and <laughs> it was just funny, you know, cause they're tied to little firecrackers or whatever. So it's just fun. But yeah, you know, by the end of that class being out there for a few days, there were twice, there was twice that I spotted them damn trip wires out of the corner of my eye and they were, yep. they were blending in. I mean, they, it wasn't like they were made out of neon green string, like, yep. You know, stuff like that. You just, it's it's hard for me to put it all into words because it really is a sixth sense. You know, um, James called it, uh, you know, using, I believe, your off-center vision, you know, because yep. your, your peripheral vision is more sensitive than your center vision. And you yep. do. You start to use that a lot more when you need it, I think. It, it kind of lays dormant when we're used to staring at screens and driving and whatever else we're doing. And then you get out in nature, that that stuff starts to wake up. And it starts to come up. So it's pretty cool. It does, man. You know, reawakening those senses and kind of re-feralizing ourselves Mm -hmm. is, I mean, you know, guys talk survival. They talk bushcrafting and they, you know, they, they talk about the hard skills, you know, the, the, you know, the first stop for a lot of people usually is knives and guns and you know gear right. and then you know yep. down the list a little ways you start getting into compasses and protractors and you know packs and all that stuff and then you know in, in boots and, and first line stuff and, and your little survival knickknacks and, and whatever widgets you want to carry yourself <laughs> but dude the the hard skills are really the awareness skills mm. you know yep. and that's but I thought that it was really cool that, that, you know, you, you had that dichotomy in a class. I've seen that dichotomy in some of my classes too. I've had, um, you know, I've had some folks that they come from a pretty diverse background as far as, you know, you, your dot mill guys, you kind of know what to expect from them, you know, and, and then you, you start to get civilians that have like a variety of different skills, man. And, oh yeah. They're bringing a lot to the table. Oh, so much, so much. It's, you know, whether it's guys that have came to my class or guys that have trained with at other classes, I, even at, you know, even at this one we're talking about down at On Point, I mean, the first class was the Recon Jaeger. And so it's more scouting, sneaking around. And the next class was, uh, or I'm sorry, it was the Recon Scout. The next class is the Jaeger Scout, which is more more of what i was used to you know like hey let's go find and kill the people you know and so that is where i fit in a little better but even during that yeah i understood the acronyms and the tactics and so on and so forth but these guys were smart these guys are business owners they're doctors lawyers literally those were both at the class um very intelligent educated hard-working people and i i guess you know, I volunteered to go be a grunt at 18 because I didn't have nothing else to do, nothing better to do. You know, right. I already said I wouldn't have right. like I never would have ended up in college anyways. Or I'd have been the guy trying to cheat through, you know, it was a good <laughs> spot for me. Right. These yeah. guys went and did all that. And now for some reason, they've made it a priority to come learn that shit. Come learn the tactics. And it's like, man, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of somebody that dedicated when they decide they oh. need to start open up on some people like no, I, I wouldn't want to not. nope absolutely not and nope. you know <clears throat> just from the kind of speaking to like the, the for the the tactical training community whatever you want to call it as a whole man that's one of the biggest things i've learned you know and, and you've picked up on it too is that you're getting the the caliber of student that you get is really amazing Oh yeah. Yeah. It's humbling. Uh, Every, every student I've had, or, you know, I've been lucky enough that wants to come out in the middle of nowhere and train. Like I've been humbled that they're there. Just like, dude, you're, you want to come train with me? Like, holy shit. You know, that's, that's very humbling. So. Well, that's, you know, that's what Mike Blackburn was talking about back in, uh, when, when I interviewed him and Paul LeFevre, Oh, yeah, that was a good we were one. talking about leadership skills and, you know, kind of 
a little bit about mutual assistance group formation and kind of some of that. And it was kind of done in an indirect way. But one of the things that he said that that was really important to me, and it's kind of how I think about it, too, is if I walk into a room and all I see are guys like me, you know, trigger pullers, and that's their only skill set, that's their only mindset. I'm actually kind of scared by that because, all right, what else can you do? Because mm-hmm. you know? yeah, we're not just going to be kicking doors and pulling triggers. You know, you've got to do a whole lot of other things, man. And and you start examining underground movements. You know, the Viet Cong, the Taliban. Um, you know, the the underground groups that that developed and and coalesced during World War II in Europe. Uh, the Philippine examples. So their their book. Uh, fire in the jungle i think it that is uh that should be mandatory reading for for pretty much anybody concerned with unconventional warfare because i mean dude that's that's about as underground as it gets man i mean the the nazis were bad enough um when it when it came to rounding up dissidents and and their uh headhunter units mm-hmm. but uh, especially in eastern europe but the japanese were absolutely brutal I mean, oh, yeah. you, know, you you knew just kind of reading accounts from both of those that with the Germans, you you had a chance with the Japanese. You you were going to die like it. it that was a done deal. Um, and, and you weren't going to die quick either. You know, so right. building building those underground networks, man, you, you have to have a wide variety of skills. You have to have people who are assets, not necessarily, you know, just direct action types. You know, they got to oh, know how sure. to do that stuff, too. But having people who are assets mm-hmm. to have a, a broad mm-hmm. variety of skills, that diversity and knowledge, man, it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. critical. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then, you know, that's what I love about going and training with guys, especially like at the scout course that you do or the one down at Odd Point where they put you in, they put you in teams and there's some force on force. There's, um, you know, the final exercise, well, of both the recon and the Jaeger scout are you're planning uh, a small operation and doing it. And it's like overnight, you know, yeah. it's not a small little, hey, walk 100 yards and walk through this. I mean, you're planning it start to finish. And, you know, so that was interesting to get their points of view. You know, and granted, too many hands spoil the pot, but to at least get the points of view of guys who see, you know, to, to former grunts, you know, it's like the whole uh, to a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. And to us, it's yeah. like, well, yeah, you get online assault through. Duh. Like, that's <laughs> what you do. But right. to them, that's just one option, and that's the mentality you have to develop. And, uh, you know, they bring their experience from their lives to the planning process, and it's interesting to see what they come up with. It's not always what you're going to do, but they do bring some very good experience besides, like you said, the trigger puller experience. So it's definitely something you should be looking to do is diversify. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And, and, um, you know, over on American Partisan, there's uh, a friend of mine who goes by Crusoe and he's been writing about, you know, kind of his journey of mutual assistance groups and, you know, how you put all that together. And there's been a lot of interesting commentary over there on that. And uh, of course, you know, I've got my own take, but looking at people as assets and, and kind of getting away from the overly tactical stuff, and breaking it down to the common sense level, man. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, um, you know, to bring James up again from on point, I thought he had, you know, we talk about a lot of things in the class and, you know, parallel systems was something that he brought up a lot. And I think that's exactly it. You know, if, if we're going into this world where, you know, your value is based on what political party you believe in or whether you got a shot or not, you know, when you need a plumber, you know, it's hard enough getting a damn plumber as it is. I don't need to worry yep. about whether he wants to know if I've been vaccinated or voted for one party or the other. Like, so knowing right. those people that, that, and, and you said, you know, they're assets and you need to be an asset to them also, 
you know, you need to be, it's not yeah. like this sociopathic thing of how can I use people? It's how right. can we help each other? You know? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's mutual. It is what, what can you do for me? But what, what do I bring to you right. in return? Yep. You know, it, it's, that's, and that, that's one of the biggest things like prepper groups and stuff that, that I have, um, had the opportunity to consult over the years and kind of counsel through, you know, th- there's been a few that have done pretty well and, and, you know, stuck together and grown over the years and, and are doing good things, but that's not average, you know, on average, a lot of them end up falling apart usually after about six months to a year. And it's because of they're, they're only focused on one thing. Like they all want to go, you know, play army in the woods. And I mean, that that's all good and well, but there's so much more, you know, there's mm-hmm. so much more. And but the best ones that I've seen are all the ones who go out and train together and they they take the time to go to a class. They travel to it. They put in that that sacrifice of, of that weekend where they could be, you know, drinking beer and watching football and instead they're, you know, they're going out into the woods with, you know, somebody who does this professionally like you and I, and they're learning those skills and they are mm-hmm. actually putting themselves to the test. There's a little bit of risk involved there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They put, you know, and that's what builds teams in my opinion is hardship and, and risk. Yeah. You know, and you get guys out in the field and that's, you know, indirectly, that's what I try to accomplish in my class as well as, you know, I don't, I don't always put everything up on the website that I want to do. You know, I'm not going to give you all the, I'm not gonna let you game it, you know, right. and you know, you're going to be in some hardship, whether it's because of the weather, because of the fact that you're hiking up and down hills and the elevation might be <laughs> kicking your ass. Cause you're from, you know, a lower elevation area yep. or whatever, or you're tired, whatever the case may be. And you're going to learn, you're going to learn it the way I did. And that's by going out and doing it and experiencing that firsthand and, and learning like, Oh, this is how we get along when we feel like shit, or this is how we help each other. You know, great. You got your shelter set up. Look at you stud. How about your buddy over there that's struggling? You're going to go help him or you're going to sit on your ass, you know? So (laughs) exactly. You know, right. That that's not how I talk to people at the class, but that's what I'm thinking. So no, I mean, you know, it's, and I, I could talk for a while about that too, about <laughs> separating the the dot mill mindset, you know, from civilians, and, and that's something you do have to drive home more often than not because they're just not used to thinking on that level, man. Of like, all right, your buddy, what you do to help your buddy is he's going to end up helping you. He's going to reciprocate yeah. that in kind. Oh yeah. And you have to do that. It's, it's not like this optional thing where it's like, Oh, I'm the fucking star athlete. I don't need anybody's help. Like you, yeah. you know, um, there was a gentleman that brought his son last year that I've, I've bragged about this boy before on the podcast and the, the young guy could, you know, he's, I believe he was 12, if I remember right. And he had like this super awesome, accurate pace count. And, and when they were doing land nav as a team, they just came to rely on him as their pace man. You know, and so everybody yeah. brings something to the table, but they're also going to have weak points. I mean, he was 12 years old. Obviously, he's going to have some weak points. So I think, you know, looking for how you can help your buddy recognize, you know, being able to recognize those weak points in your your buddy or buddies. And how can I help? You know, that's I think that's a pretty good mentality to have because inevitably you're going to run into trouble and they're going to be there for you, hopefully. Yeah. And I mean, they, they will, you know, decent people, good people will recognize that fact mm-hmm. and, and, and they'll come out for you. And, and you've, you've got to put it to the test, man. You got to put that stuff to the test. And, and if they're willing to do it, cool. You know, but yep. if not, you know, you, they, it, it just is what it is. I remember uh, one group in particular that I had uh, somewhat early on. And I did three classes for them and they, each class, their numbers were dwindling, you know, each time they were dwindling a little bit less, a little bit less each, you know, each time that they went. And, um, you know, 
I'm not there trying to pry or anything, but I noticed like one guy who in the previous class had been super motivated and was a real good dude, was running around, was helping all the guys with everything and doing, you know, just doing real good. I said, you know, hey, where was he at? I mean, could he, you know, just couldn't make it? Or he was like, well, we haven't heard from him in a few months. Oh, wow. And what it boiled down to was, you know, one guy wanting everything to be exactly, you know, like, like you're going to do everything exactly my way. You got to think, man, like these dudes are are volunteering their time to come out because they Mm -hmm. have some sort of mutual objective here. You know, and and for them, that was the scout course was to come out to learn a little bit about small unit tactics to, you know, shoot further than 25 meters with their rifles, you know, learn, learn actually how to move and stalk and evade and, you know, all the stuff that we do. And, um, you know, it it was just in in this. Then I started to pick up on it. The guy was being uh, one of the one of the people in this group was just being a super directive type of person and micromanaging all the other guys. And it wasn't, it just wasn't productive, man. It was a sour Mm -hmm. attitude. But conversely, the guy who should have been leading this group, who had a real good down to earth attitude and, and was just a, a good natured guy to hang out with, you know, he was sitting there trying to smooth things over and, and it just, you know, it, it just went sideways from there. And, you know, and unfortunately, they ended up, you know, not not being a group because of, of those bad attitudes, man. And it, it could have all been avoided, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting. Um, it's always been an interesting subject of mind is how you uh, in mind is how you um, how to do that. You know, how to lead a group like that or how to work in a group like that. And, you know, when I was out there in Utah, um, James kind of hit on that. And there was a quote I remember him saying, and I, he very well had been quoting somebody else. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, it's basically lead how you want to be led and follow how you want to follow or how follow how you want to be followed. And I was just yeah. like, man, that that's it right there. That is yep. it right there. If you are in that leadership position then lead how you would want to be led. No brainer, you know, and conversely, if you're not the guy in charge that day, for whatever reason, follow how you would like to be followed, you know, because a lot of times I think that's where that friction, you know, if a guy comes in and and he'll admit to himself, Hey, I don't know shit. I'm here to help. You don't have problems with that guy. It's the number one and the number two guy button heads over what's better and getting lost in the sauce over that where you end up with problems, I think. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a good little quote. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, with him coming from a, a elite unit background, you know, force recon Marine and, and, you know, thinking back to leaders that I had, you know, in, in the special reconnaissance world, you know, and, and trickling down to, you know, the Marine Corps infantry squad, it's, you want to work under that guy that treats you with respect. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's always that leader in the unit that everybody wants to work for. And that's the common denominator. Like he, he talks to you like you're a human being. He treats you with respect. Now he's going to, he's going to staple your nuts to the wall if you screw up. But, and, and you know that, and you, Mm -hmm. you want to do well for that leader because you are compelled to do well for him. The worst punishment in the world is to disappoint that guy. Exactly. Yep. It's, I mean, it's, it's the old adage of, of being respected rather than being feared. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, that's, it's, it's the name of the game. And, and those guys, it doesn't mean they're a pushover or they take a bunch of crap, but you know, they, they don't put up with it either, but they treat people with respect when, when it is earned. Yeah. And, and, um, that's the name of the game, man. So, uh, winding down on the hour here, you know, the, we, we've covered a whole lot, man. And, and, um, you know, from, from knife designs, the hard skills and bushcraft into, to, you know, uh, mutual assistance group training and, and leadership here with, uh, the field craft tactics course, man, is it a requirement for students to have attended the field craft course prior to getting into the tactics class? 
it's it's not um i've already had a couple guys email me and we kind of discuss their backgrounds and i i tell them kind of explicitly like hey this is what we're you know this is what i'm looking for and because the way i look at it when students come out to train and i tell them this at the beginning of every class it is their class and ultimately i'm i'm trying to help them to learn and if they happen to do it in a way different than what i envisioned at the beginning that's okay you know i want them to come out and learn because then they can go back home and and spread that knowledge to their friends and family so that's ultimately what i want to do but that being said i can't just this is a little bit i'm not gonna say it's advanced i don't want to try and make it sound like it's some super high speed thing because that's not what i'm trying to do here but you know for instance land nav you're going to be covering farther distance on your own from an, and it's not going to be the same old land nav routes from the first class. You're going to be getting dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and you're going to be hiking in to actually conduct a live fire uh, ambush on some stuff. So, you know, it's a little different. And so I do need the, the guys to kind of be up there. So um, right. it will help you out immensely. I'll put it that way. Now, if you are a former whatever and you feel like you'd be all right, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to discuss it with you. You know, so it's not a requirement, but highly recommended. I'll put it that way. And so I am so, doing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. Oh, I was just saying I've, I've kind of structured my schedule for this year to kind of reflect that. I, d I do a field craft course. A few weeks later, I'm doing a bush tactics course. And then later in the fall, I do the same thing. So there's two of each this year. So that's exactly what I was about to ask. What's uh, your schedule looking like? So I'm doing uh, a field craft course in April, and then the bush tactics a couple weeks later in May. And then in September, uh, I'm going to be doing one of each as well. And the calendar's up on my blog over at uh, Badlands Fieldcraft. Badlands Fieldcraft. Definitely, folks, go pay him a visit and your blades, man. When do you expect to have the first run so to speak when do you expect to have them out and can people order them now so that's a funny story when i started this it's because i couldn't find a knife that i wanted maybe i'm just too picky i don't know i just said hell with it i'll build my own so i thought if i built 10 and sold seven of them i'd give a couple away for gifts have one for myself pay it all off right quickly sold those seven within like a week ordered more steel and i did 10 more so my first batch of 20 is completely spoken for and i'm up to about 10 out of the second batch of 20. and so if you want one if you're interested in one shoot me an email get your name in the list because i'm going in order you know basically i'm going in order of who sends a payment in as soon as i get your your check that's you get bumped up the list and so that's the order i got to go in so if you want to get in on some, that's the best way right now. My goal is to eventually build some and just have them for sale right on the website. But yeah, as of right now, that's looking like maybe April or May, to be honest. Right on. Well, it's not that far. It's not that far out. No, no. And actually, I ran into some logistical. It would have been sooner. Um, I had mailed my knives off to be heat treated at a heat treating shop that specializes in that. And I've actually had some, uh, made some friends through the knife making thing that have advised me on, on how to do my own heat treating. So I've got my own yeah. oven now and I'm going to be doing that. And so I'll probably take a break after I get this first batch finished up, kind of get the heat treating down and then start up on the second batch. Um, so yeah, it'll be... It'll be a lot quicker, actually, once I get that process done, because it, it was about a month turnaround without any delays. Now, with COVID and all the other bullshit, who's to yeah. say, you know, so. The oh, my God variant. Oh, my God variant yeah. going to kill us all, man. Yeah, so I just <laughs> said, you know what, I'm going to get my own heat treat oven. You know, I've a, the, the old tool shed's gotten some upgrades in the last month, I can tell you that much. It's been a little, I spent a little money on tools, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing to have around. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Well, I think 
this knife design, you can catch pictures of this uh, over on Badlands Fieldcraft. You can also catch pictures in the archives of American Partisan. If you scroll back far enough, everything's right there on the homepage. You're going to see pictures of this blade. I think it is a work of art uh, designed by somebody who knows what they're doing and knows exactly what they want out of a blade. Um, hey, you know, you, you, you really can't ask for better than that. And and the classes, I'm telling you, you know, you're knocking it out of the park, man. Oh, thank you. You know, I couldn't and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, you know, you and James. You know, you guys have been um, you guys have been helping me out also, you know, and I wouldn't be here oh, if yeah. it wasn't for your guys's advice and encouragement. And there's other guys um, that I'm not going to mention, but some mentors out there, guys that I've been emailing back and forth with a lot of experience that that have been advising me as well. And so I, this is not just the me show by any measure. Uh, And it, you know, brother, it's all about building the community up, you know, the, the, whatever community you're a part of, it's about building it up. It's about building everybody around you up because, you know, if, if we don't do that, ain't nobody going to do it for us. Right. Right. Yep. No, that's for sure. (laughs) So I appreciate all your help over the days too. Yeah, bro. Anything, anything that I can do. So any last final closing thoughts for the radio Contra listeners out there? How much time do I got? (laughs) Uh, We, well, we've closed in on an hour, man. All right. I'll be, I'll be quick. You know, we talked about the, the skills thing and the sewer thing earlier my sewer problems so there is a poem yeah i'm about to read some poetry this is (laughs) don't don't hang up though so it's it's cool man if by rudyard kipling oh yeah are you familiar with that all right so i'm in my basement and i got sewer water pouring out of light fixtures in the ceiling that's a weird feeling especially like my wife and i bought our house about 15 years ago and gutted it and have been rebuilding it it's it's been a labor of love you know yeah. So when you go in your basement, you see work that you put a lot of time into being wrecked, you know, and then you got to further, you actually got to wreck it further to fix it, right? That's pretty, uh, that can be kind of heartbreaking. So I'm in the middle of doing that, and this this line from If just pops into my head out of nowhere, you know, and I just wanted to, to read it real quick. Ah, go you ahead, know. man. Rudyard Kipling is always invited on this podcast. Yeah. Well, and I just I thought maybe other people could use this, too. You know, and so the line from if is or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. And granted, sewer problems, plumbing problems, that that's minor in the scale of all the things that can go on in life. But I just thought I would share that. And it, it kind of brought me a little bit of. Like, yeah, I got this, you know, brought me a little yeah. confidence. And I, I just thought I would share that in case somebody Dude, else is having a tough time. It's man. No, nah, that, that's a heck of a good line. That is yeah. a heck of a good line, which, you know, Rudyard Kipling, kind of the, the eternal enemy of the left. Yep. Uh, I, you know, all, all the all the Marxists out there call him an apologist for imperialism. But, you know, it it's. uh Dude wrote some dude wrote some universal truths too, man. Oh yeah, that, and that you whole know. poem. If you if you haven't, I know you have, but if a listener hasn't read that, yeah. highly advise it. Every line is very applicable to life. Oh, hundred percent. So, yeah, hundred percent. Anyways, bro. yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. Heck yeah, dude. Always, well, brother. You know they can catch you at Badlands Fieldcraft. You look him up, you're gonna see all sorts of great wisdom that is over on his blog. Uh, of course, he contributes to AmericanPartisan.org as well. Go out, train with him. You know, and, and uh, on point that we talked about too. You know, they really need no introduction, but go train with them. Train with everybody. You know, train with everybody. But the important thing is that you're getting out there and that you are doing it. Brother, it has been an honor to have you here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me again. I I appreciate it. And I enjoy the conversation, to be honest. Yeah, man. All right. For everybody here, uh, both Badlands Fieldcraft and myself and all of you out there, it's been an honor to have you for yet another episode. 
I will catch you again very, very soon. God bless. This is NC Scout out.